We'll just continue to do. So Matthew 19 was part of our reading, and it says this in verse 21. And Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, for you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Big words. Big words here regarding our finances and regarding our submitting our life to him. And then verse 22 says this. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And I looked up that word perfect. And you know what that word perfect means? It means complete. Wow. It means complete. And what the Lord is challenging us here, what he's saying is, is you, in order, if you want to be complete, completely whole, you, we have to submit everything to him, including our finances, including our relationships, including our kids, everything, our husband, our wife, everything. We have to be, if we want to be complete, we have to totally, because if, if you haven't totally submitted everything, there's always this part of us. And I know it's a journey, and it's a challenge. There's always this part of us that's out there that's not quite complete yet. I get it. It's a journey as we're all walking on to be complete. So I love that. It's complete. Are you willing, church, are you all willing to give it all up for Jesus? Are you willing to give it all up for Jesus? Are you willing to give it all up for Jesus? You know, I mean, honestly, like we say it, we say it, and we all, most of us are amening in theory, Right? Come on, church. I'm just being honest with you. Because I've done this a lot of times. Like, amen, pastor. Preach it. I'm willing to give it all up. Everything I own, I'll sell it all. And then the call comes, and God speaks and says, go do this, or sell that car, or give that car, or you know what, sell your house and do it. And you're just like, well, in theory, I wanted to do that. But we always talk about this time that we're in is like the rubber meets the road time. It really is. The rubber, you know, hey, amen, I will not fear, I will not fear, I will not fear. And then all these things in our life happen that make us want to fear. Are we going to fear or not? Are we going to stand on the word of God or not? And his promises. And so I'm not shouting you down because you all say amen because I'm with you too. But it happens is there's going to be a time, there is a time, and there's coming a time where the rubber meets the road. And are we really, really willing to give it all for him? Are we willing to give our lives up for him? There's going to be a time, potentially in our lifetime, where we have to make that choice. Will you take the mark or won't you take the mark? There's going to be a time, a serious time of decision And this morning's message, I'm already starting to preach it. I'm talking about offering, how we got there already. But this morning's message is all about what is the day of the Lord and what does it look like and how can we be ready? How can we be, what does the Bible tell us about being ready? We say, well, no, no, I have to get ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there's time to get ready, but we have to be ready. What does that look like? If Jesus was coming back to rapture his church this afternoon, are you ready? And what does it look like to be ready? Okay, let me pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, 
We thank you for every gift, every giver. We thank you for these tithes, these offerings. Father, we thank you that this church is debt-free in Jesus' name. We're working on it, but we're claiming that it will be in Jesus' name. Father, we are just asking you to take care of every bill, every, every financial need in our homes, in our lives. Father, we will not worry. We will seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto us. All these things will be added unto us, which is everything we wear and what we need to eat, and all these things will be taken care of. We thank you for it. And Father, I just thank you for this message this morning that you have put on my heart. Father, that it will just bring hope and bring peace and bring a call to action for us to be ready for your return. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, so if you have your timelines uh, here, if you're bringing it back with you, you can get those out here for a minute. You can also open your Bibles up to Revelation 19. If you're watching online and you're not here and you'd like a timeline, if you just go to our website, www.ecfchurch.org, on that homepage, if you just go down a little bit, uh, there's a link to a PDF where you can, uh, uh, you can just click on that and it'll open up. And what we're going to focus on this morning, we're going to focus on kind of the middle of the timeline. So what we were working on the past couple weeks is we talked about eternity, we were talking about the millennial reign last week, so we're working from right to left. We're working on this timeline from right to left. You say, Pastor Jason, why do you want to go from right to left when we're supposed to read left to right? That's what they teach us. Well, I want to start with the end in mind. I wanted us to start with what does it future look like for those who are in the book of life? What does that future actually look like to bring us hope and bring us peace in turbulent times? We can look forward and say, you know what? There's a better time coming, amen? And at the same time, not only is there a better time coming, he promises us to take us through everything else that comes at us and in our way in the meantime, amen? So today we're going to be focusing on the day of the Lord. And you can see that it's kind of right in the middle. Uh, it encompasses numbers basically 12 through 19. Uh, if you look at it, we will touch a little bit on number 11. I know everyone's excited for the rapture message. Like, you know, when's the rapture going to happen? Everybody wants that. So that is not next week because we got Jeremy Gall. I already told you that. So we're going to build up your faith before I tell you when the rapture's going to happen. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'm just saying. Okay, so we're going to build up your faith, and then I'm going to give you the rapture message in two weeks from now. In two weeks. And just based on where it is on the timeline, you kind of understand what I'm saying. Uh, there will be some challenges that we have. But God is faithful. Jesus is good. And he will take us out of here before God's wrath is poured out by, in the name of Jesus. We're thankful for that. And that's kind of what we're going to talk through uh, this morning as the day of the Lord. So what is... What is the day of the Lord? Uh, you know, the goal of this series, just real quick, I like to just remind us of this. The goal of this series is not to set a date, not to set an exact window, not to say it's coming tomorrow or next year or whatever. Uh, so that's not the goal. The goal is to give you some expectations for the future so when things begin to happen, you're prepared. Amen? It's good to be prepared. It's good to know kind of what's happening or what's coming at us. Uh, and the stuff that we're seeing is, I mean, it's like we're, we are living in some of these, end, obviously, in some of this end time stuff. So that's the goal. The goal is to give us some hope. Uh, and the goal is for us to know what do we do as a church. What is the practicality of this? It's great in theory. This theology is great. But what do I do? What do you do? What do we do? 
What do we do with this stuff? Like, what do we have to do? So I want each message to have a little bit of that practicality so that you don't walk away saying, okay, that's great, I know when this is going to happen, but what do I do? And so I want to give you some practicality. So just a real uh, quick recap. We talked eternity two weeks ago, talked about the three heavens and then how God will bring heaven to earth and create a new heaven and a new earth. We talked then last week about the millennial reign. What does that begin to look like? How he begins to uh, uh, rule and reign on this earth with us ruling and reigning with him? And what does that look like? And what is our bodies like? And all that stuff. If you want to hear all the details, you can go to our website, uh, get our podcast, or you can go back and just watch last week's uh, Facebook Live. But what I want to talk about this morning is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Now, we could spend weeks talking about this. There's so much that's packed into this little bit of time here. I know it says the day of the Lord. I believe, based on scriptures, that it's actually, it's kind of like a year. And I'll talk, to, I'll talk a little bit about that here in a minute. But it's the day of the Lord. It's so much. So what's actually happened? The day of the Lord was foretold in mostly all of the Old Testament prophets. The day of the Lord is a day of darkness and gloom for this earth. But guess what? but not for the saints. That's a good amen spot there, but not for the saints. This will be a day of judgment upon the nations and upon the Antichrist. It will be a time of recompense for the way of Israel, the way Israel was treated, as well as the way the world had treated the saints. And it follows what's called in the Bible Jacob's Trouble. It follows something called Jacob's Trouble, which you can find in Jeremiah 30, verse 7. I'm not going to read that there. But Jacob's trouble, what is Jacob's trouble? You may have heard this before. It's when the Antichrist invades Jerusalem, takes the temple, so it's back up on the timeline a little bit here, basically this great tribulation that, uh, that will be coming. Uh, he, he, he invades Jerusalem, takes the temple, defiles it, uh, the abomination of desolation. Basically a holocaust again happens uh, for the Israeli people. And the day of the Lord is the response to this. The day of the Lord is in response to this great tribulation of what is happening and the wrath that ends up getting poured out. In fact, if you look at the parallels of the day of the Lord and you look at some of these trumpet judgments and these bowl judgments that I'm not going to walk through because (laughs) I don't want to walk through every trumpet and bowl judgment this morning on what those all look like, but they follow a lot of what's seen in Exodus when God is taking his people out of Egypt. And there's a ton of similarities between that. So if you're interested in all of that, you can kind of go read. I think it's in Revelation 16 and 17. And then, of course, go back to Exodus. You can kind of read and begin to see how these judgments that happen, and you remember some of those judgments, right? Because everybody's seen the movie. Right? I'm not, because you've read the Bible too, right? But you've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments. Right? And Charleston Heston did a great job. You know, and, and the plagues they did. You know, for technology, for as old as that movie was, I thought they did a pretty good job at, you know, showing some of that stuff. Anyway, okay, totally digressing on that. So, uh, so you can begin to see some of these parallels. So the first thing I want to just talk about from a Day of the Lord perspective, last week I kind of answered a lot of questions, but are we here on earth for this? And I truly believe the Bible says that we are not here on the earth for this wrath of pouring out of the day of the Lord. So what happens is, again, we'll talk rapture here, but that Jesus comes and he raptures his church uh, before this last seal is opened up and the trumpets open up, which you can see as number 12 and 13 on your timeline. 
uh, before that actually happens. And then Jesus, you know, I'm not going to get into all this, and there's a lot of scriptures that support it, but that Jesus doesn't just come down to earth and stay on earth. There's a lot of times through this day of the Lord, which is actually about a year long, where Jesus actually is, is he, he raptures his church, and then at some point in time, he actually comes back for the Bema Seat judgment, back up, he goes to heaven, and then he comes back. And so you begin to see, I'm going to walk through a little bit of this, of how Jesus then comes, and then he brings us all back for what is called Armageddon, which is kind of the end of the day of the Lord, like the big battle at the end where the day of the Lord really ends up getting wrapped up, okay? So what's happening in this time? Uh, let's go to Daniel 12, uh, verse 1. I know you didn't open there. I do have that up there. It says, at that time, Michael shall stand up, and a great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as was never, or since never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at the end of that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And I really believe that that says, you know, God is going to deliver us from this wrath. And we already talked about what happens then post-Armageddon. So if you want to look at your timeline, again, on the back of the timeline, I'm not going to read through all this, but I, I really encourage you to, at home during this week, I know we're asking to read through the New Testament, but there's a lot of great verses here. If you take number 12 all the way through number basically 18 and 19 is what we're really trying to just give a quick overview of this morning. And you can see in number 14, which is very interesting, it says that in between the sixth and seventh trumpet, the mystery of God will be completed. And the mystery of God in this day of the Lord is actually the national salvation of Israel. And it begins when the Antichrist is murdered and the two witnesses uh, are on the earth. It says that they are killed at the end of Daniel's 70th week and it will be the last day of their authority to witness. So I just encourage you to go home and begin to put all of this stuff from a timeline and put it together so you can see what's happening. So here's the most important thing I want you to get out of it. Here's the most important thing. At trumpet number seven, trumpet number seven, so the church is gone, the, seal, the last seal is open, the trumpet judgments begin to play out. There's this number 14 on your timeline, this national salvation of Israel. But I want you to get as the trump, number 15, trumpet number seven, declares Jesus is king. Come on, guys. It declares that Jesus is king. Oh my gosh, guys, is this not an amazing thing? So we've already talked about Jesus is going to be king on this earth. We're going to rule and reign with him. But at this time, that trumpet is blown, number seven, that Jesus is king. And then these bold judgments, as you can see in number 16, these bold judgments begin to get poured out. And I believe, I mean, if you look at the timeline, I believe that Jesus actually, at that exact same time, is then doing the judgment seat in heaven. And I want to talk a few minutes about the judgment seat in heaven. So turn with me in your Bibles. Uh, I know I already have you going somewhere, but go to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. I think this is an important point, again, for us to understand today. What, what do we need to be doing today when it comes to the day of the Lord? If we're not going to be here, what do we care? Right? I mean, somebody's just like, hey, I'm not going to be here, so what do I care about all this? But there's an important point here that you need to understand and we need to be very much concerned about. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 
that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Guys, there is a time coming during this time of the day of the Lord that's called the Bema uh, judgment seat or the judgment seat of the Lord where we will stand before the Lord and we will have to give account to our lives. And when this happens, it is interesting that the scripture talks about everything that we did in our own strength, everything that we did for our own pleasure, everything that we did that we thought we were just doing, oh, well, this is this, this, that. Guess what, guys? It gets burned up. It gets burned up. And the only thing that matters is the things that we did for his kingdom and for his eternity. And it's like, when you begin to think like that, you begin to start to begin to change the way. Like, look, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to go try to get promoted at your company and to spend time being diligent in the job that you're doing. But what I am saying is, your promotion to CEO is not going to be the thing that the Lord says, well done, my good and faithful servant, for making it to be CEO. That, I mean, if that's the God's calling on your life, then he will say, good job at being faithful and diligent. But if that's our goal, and that's not what God has for a goal for us, that stuff gets burned up. It actually gets burned up. And so we have to live each day and in our life with eternity as a mindset. When I'm standing before the Lord, when I'm standing at this Bema judgment seat, what are the things I'm doing today that, you know what, they're just going to get burned up? Some of those things you have to go do. Well, I'm not going to brush my teeth today. Pastor Jason said I didn't have to because that doesn't matter. No, guys, you don't understand. That's not what I'm talking about. But what he is talking about is when he's asked you to go pray for someone, did you go pray for that person? Because what I believe what will happen at this Bema judgment seat is when you are going through this time and he is judging your actions and when, you say, when he said, did you pray for that person? You said, yes. That person somewhere over there stands up and thanks you. Thanks you for praying for them. You understand that the way this judgment seat is going to work, that there are going to be billions of Christians from the beginning of time here. And you're going to see crowds of people that are there because of your faithful prayers. This is the exciting part of this judgment thing. So what's going to happen is we as a people now have to continually ask the Lord each and every day, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to go do? Who do you want me to pray for? Who do I need to share the gospel with? Yes, you have to do your job. Yes, you have to change that diaper. Yeah, you got a baby. Change the diaper. I get it. There are practical things we have to do in this earth, but at the end of the day, when we're sitting on that thing, he is going to judge, and all the stuff that we strive for so hard in our own strength that wasn't God's plan for us, guess what? Vanishes. Vanishes. It just gets burned up. It means nothing. The judgment seat. This is going to happen during this time of the day of the Lord. Okay, Revelations 19 There's also something called the marriage of the Lamb. Revelation 19, verse 7. says this, Let us be glad and rejoice. Give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. Verse 8. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Verse 9, and then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. 
this ultimate time as we have this Bema judgment seat and this marriage of life. We are forever then united with Jesus. We come back with him at Armageddon. We come back with him and then rule and reign. We are forever united with Jesus. Our Lord, our Savior, forever united with him. Amen. I'm looking forward to the day of the Lord because one, I won't be here on this earth for what's going to happen. But then there's that judgment seat. And then there'll be a time when we are never again separated from Jesus. Amen? All right, further on in Revelation 19, I want to talk briefly about Armageddon. I'm not going to talk about this for very long. I want to read some of the scriptures here. Starting in verse 11, it says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. Hallelujah. He is faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. It's talking about Jesus, guys. And he had the name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dripped, dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Wow. Wow. And so Jesus is coming down for his church, but then he's going to come down and his robe is going to be dipped in blood. And I think so often the church in these modern days, in the Western world, we see Jesus in like this myopic view of just this one version of Jesus. Our Lord, you know, he came, he died for us on the cross, and he was our loving brother, and we love him. But you understand that this is also Jesus. Jesus is going to be the one that comes back and brings some judgment, some pretty heavy judgment the ultimate judgment at the end from Armageddon on this earth. Verse 14. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Amen. We're coming back. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress, and the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh written this, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? The King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm not going to read the, the rest of down through 19, or Revelation 19, but it talks about the beast, the rise, and he is defeated, and Jesus wipes everything off the, off the face of this earth here uh, from the enemy's perspective, and we will reign with him, thus will then start the millennium, okay? All right. So here's what I really want to focus on this morning. Here's what I want to focus on. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. I have a ton of notes this morning, and I'm gonna, I've skipped through some of them because I want this to be the main focus. I'm not going to dwell on how many times Jesus goes up and down or how many, if he does that or not. It's all, you know, people interpret some things different ways. But what I can tell you is this, Matthew 24, and I'm going to start in verse 36. I'm going to probably read a little more scripture here this morning than I normally do. Again, this was part of our reading this week. Yeah, how God works that out. Isn't that neat? Matthew 24, starting in verse 36. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. 
For as in the days of the flood, there were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, and one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other one left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour our Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Verse 44, key verse here. Therefore you also be ready. Be ready. Not get ready. Be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Church, we need to be ready. And I know we've talked about this. Actually, my dad had a prophetic word a couple weeks back, I believe, that I shared with you. Uh, he's, he lives in, on the other side of the state. But the Lord spoke to him. Not, he said the Lord spoke to him. He says, not, not get ready, but be ready. And I'm just like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be ready? Like, I feel like I understand what to get ready, right? These are the things I can do today and tomorrow. And I can do all these things so I can get ready. But Jesus is clearly telling us to be ready. Not get ready, be ready. And so the lovely thing about Scripture and the lovely thing the way Jesus always spoke, guess what? The next part of this, this chapter and the next chapter actually tells us how to be ready. Amen? So let's keep reading. Because he's, he's given us the answer. Verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise, wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant, listen to this, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find him so doing. To be ready, there are some things we have to do. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods, but that if the evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. Church, many of us walk around as if the Lord's not coming back soon. I should have warned you up front. There's three or four things I'm going to preach this morning that you are not going to like. I won't get a lot of amens. And it's so funny because before church, we actually had a prayer. I think maybe Chet said it. Like He actually said something like, you know what? As Pastor Jason speaks the truth... Let people receive it as it is. I was like, how did you know what I'm going to talk about this morning? That's right. But if that evil servant says in the heart, my master's delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware and he will cut him in two. Ouch. And appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The first point of being ready is this. Be a faithful servant. Point number one. I'm actually going to give you three of them. How do we be ready is be a faithful servant. What does that mean? What does that look like? It is someone who is constantly looking for the master's return. 
You are constantly, day in and day out, saying, all right, Lord, what do you want me to go do today to be faithful? So that if you showed up this afternoon, if you came back later on this evening, that I would be ready, because you would find me being faithful. You would find me doing the things that you've asked me to go do. If it's being a mom, then being a mom. If it was being that CEO, then being that CEO. Being, doing exactly what God has called you to do, being faithful in that. And when we are faithful, it's a day after day thing. You say, well, Pastor Jason, if I know he's coming back, then I'm just going to go on vacation for the rest of my life. No, that's not what the Lord wants. He doesn't want us to just go on vacation for the rest of our lives saying, well, Jesus must be coming back next couple years. If I can do my finances right, I think I can make it. I'm just going to retire and just do nothing for the rest of my life. No. He is telling us to be faithful day after day after day, doing the things, even the little things that he is calling us to go do. Spending time in the word. Worshiping him. Praying for one another. Praying for our country. When Jesus comes back, I want to be in an attitude and an atmosphere of prayer. Being ready is mean being a faithful servant. Which, you know what? If each day you woke up and said, today I'm going to be a faithful servant, it doesn't matter when Jesus is coming back because you're going to be ready. You see, that's the difference between getting ready and being ready. The getting ready is, well, okay, I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to think about doing this. I'm going to think about that. I need to start getting myself ready. No, being ready is right now. You're ready. Right now you're being faithful with what God has put in front of you. That's the end of Matthew 24. Then if you turn over to Matthew 25, he talks about the parable of the virgins. I'm going to read it to you. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Verse 6. And at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No. Lest there should not be enough for us in you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Oh my goodness. I do not know you. Verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. What does this mean? Unfortunately, the ten virgins represent the church. You say, wait a second, no, 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 no. No, that can't be true. 
They can't, how, how can Jesus say that I didn't know you? You just said, how could it be the entire church? Because what he's beginning to say is there are Christians out there. And I pray that there's none in this church. But there are Christians out there who are Christian in name only. There are people out there that are Christians in name only. And they say, well, you know, no, you know what? I said that prayer one time a long time ago. <laughs> Church, that does not support it in the Bible that if you said that prayer one time and you don't live a life that is absolutely repentant to him and because of what he did, living a life obedient to him that says, well, you just get to go ahead and walk right into heaven. The Bible says that the pathway is narrow in order to get to heaven. Paul says that I was crucified with Christ. That means if you are calling yourself a Christian, then your life has to be a life that is being crucified with Christ. You need to look at sin in your life and begin to repent for that sin and say, no more. I'm walking away from that. I'm on a journey and I'm walking through it. And the beautiful thing is he is here to help us to walk through this with us. Being ready means living a repentant life. I'm sorry to tell you that, church, but that is one of the parts of being ready and what that means. It means living a repentant life. It means living a crucified life. A life that puts down the flesh. A life that is pursuing Jesus each and every day. Someone who understands that they have to know Jesus more and more intimately every single day. And you say, well, but Pastor Jason, I go to church. Where in the Bible does it say you get to go to heaven if you went to church? It doesn't say that anywhere. Oh, but I say a prayer every once in a while. That must mean I can get into heaven. No, the way to heaven is to be written in the book of life. And what the Bible clearly states to us over and over and over again is that we have to what? Believe in our heart and then confess with our mouth. Many of us have confessed with our mouth, but we are not believing in our hearts. And how do I know that a lot of us are not believing in our heart? Because if we believed in our heart that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he says he would do, we would love him. And if it meant that we loved him, we would obey his commands. And obeying his commands means living a sacrificial life, a submitted life, an obedient life, a repentant life. And so if your life is not looking like that, then you need to look yourself in the mirror today and say, do I really know Jesus Christ? And is he really my Lord and Savior? Because saying a prayer one time and going to church does not get you into the kingdom of heaven. And this is why the Bible is saying there was 10 of them, only five got in and five didn't. That's only 50%. That number stinks. And we'll talk in, or in Revelation in a couple weeks from now, and you look at the seven churches. Most of the seven churches were failing. But today is the day of salvation. The Bible makes it very, very clear that we can choose in our hearts to believe in him and to live a transformed life and to begin to lay down the junk in our life. 
If you love Jesus and you are obeying his commands, I know it's difficult. I know this generational sin. I know, but if you are not living a life of repentance, day in and day out saying, Lord, I'm sorry, I need to put that down. This is the life that he's calling us to, to live. And to be ready means to live a repented life. Be ready equals a repented life. That verse 11 just jumps out at me over and over and over. It says, assuredly I say to you, I do not know you. So in order to be ready, we have to be faithful each and every day. We have to live a repentant life. Then in verse 14, another way that we can be ready is this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, and to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. And I'm not going to read all the way through the rest of that parable, but what it says is this. Is the one who got five invested in the kingdom of God and had a return of five more. The one who had two invested in the kingdom of God and got two more. But the one who had one buried it. Literally buried it in the ground. Stored up his treasure on earth. And what happens when we store up our treasure in earth? It's worth nothing. It's given to somebody else, actually, is what ends up happening. So in order to be ready, in order to be ready, we have to use the talents that he has given us to expand the kingdom. We need to be faithful. We need to live a repented life. And he should find us using the talents that he has given us to expand his kingdom. Then the last part of this, if Sydney or whoever's doing the uh, worship, if you guys could come back up. The last part of this is called the sheep-goat judgment. And I want to brief on this because it's one more thing we have to be ready for. And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, insomuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it for me. And the least of these, I think a lot of people assume that this is like little kids. That this is children. And yes, a lot of times uh, we can perceive as, as, as those who are less fortunate or those who are kids uh, are the least of these. But in this context... What Jesus is talking about is the Hebrew people. He is talking about Israel. And so the last thing we need to do to be ready is to stand with Israel. When Jesus comes back, we need to be standing with Israel. All of this end time stuff, it all revolves. It all revolves around the Middle East, around Israel. And if we are going to be ready, we need to be standing with Israel. But importantly, for our own personal lives this morning, we have to be faithful. We have to live a repented life. And we have to use the talents that He has given us. you guys you just close your eyes and bow your heads for a minute
you're here this morning, you're watching online, wherever you might be. You say, Pastor Jason, on any one of those four accounts, I have not been walking that out in my life. I have not been faithful to what he has called me to be faithful to. I have not been living a life of repentance and turning from my sin. I've not been using the gifts and talents that God has given me to expand His kingdom. Or I just didn't care or assumed it didn't matter whether or not I was standing with Israel. If on any account that is you this morning, any one of those four, just slip your hand up this morning. Come on, be bold. Be bold. Thank you, Lord. 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 Hands are up. Just keep them up just for a minute. No one's looking around. Oh, Father. Father, forgive us. Forgive us as a nation. Forgive us as a church. Forgive us as an individual for not being ready. For not being faithful. For not being repentant. For not using the talents and giftings you've given. For not standing with Israel as we should. Father, I ask only by your Holy Spirit's power that you would help us to be ready. That the changes we need to make in our life will be by the power of the Holy Spirit to mold us, to change us, to shape us, to transform us. Father, we're asking for your forgiveness which you promised you'll give. First and foremost, Lord, that we will begin to live a repentant life. For we do not know the day or the hour in which you're coming and we want to be ready. We want you to find us ready when the time comes. So Father, I ask that you would lead us and guide us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're watching online or you're here this morning and you just want someone else to pray with this morning, we're going to have some prayer leaders up here. But church, the only way this is possible to live a life like this is we have to be a people of prayer. We have to be a people of prayer. We have to be praying now more than we've ever prayed. You'll be using your prayer language now more than you've ever used it before. And we need to be a people that are led by His Holy Spirit.
There's no other way that we can navigate these times than being led by the Holy Spirit. There's more and more prophecies that are coming out of this is going to happen and that's going to happen. Before you listen to any one of them, pray. Pray. And then test that prophecy against Scripture. Test it against and line it up with other prophetic words from trusted people. And if that word brings complete and sheer panic, know that that's not what the Lord wants from that. He doesn't want us to panic. He wants us to pray. He wants us to walk in peace. And He wants us to prepare. Church, I'm telling you, this is a time of preparation. I know I just talked about being ready, but there is some getting ready that's involved here too. But the only thing you need to do to get ready is to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and do what He tells you to go do. Don't go buy a new generator because you think the power might go out because somebody said it will. But if He says to go buy a generator and that's what He wants you to go do, then go buy a generator. If he wants you to stock up on toothpaste and you think that's weird, do it anyway. Because what I've found that during these times, the things he's calling us to do is not just for yourself. The things that he is calling each and every one of us to do is not only for you, but it's going to be a help for others as well. So are you ready? It's my challenge to you this morning. Are you ready? I've outlined what it means to be ready. And if you're saying, well, I'm just still not sure if I'm ready, then come up front here after service and we'll pray for you. We'll talk with you. And begin to set you on a path on what it means to live a life a Christian life fully submitted to Him. How you want to come up here as we close? Oh, if you have something. I just feel like I'm not ready to close the service. I'm trying, guys. I get it. It's been two hours. I'm trying. Bible says in Philippians 4, I promise you I'd end with this verse each week. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, guys. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, 
Anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. Meditate on this word. Meditate on this word. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw me, these do. And the peace of God will be with you. You understand that when we begin to meditate on this word and we put these promises in our hearts and we begin to speak this word of God, it begins to change how we think and it begins to change what we say. And when we're meditating on this word, things come out like, you know what, if God is for me, then who can be against me? What begins to come out is, you know what, I am more than a conqueror through him by Christ Jesus. What begins to come out is, I am the healed of the Lord, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When we're meditating on this word, that begins to come out of our mouths. And I encourage you this week to take a little count that you speak out loud the word of God as many times as you say the word mask, Corona, Trump, or Biden. I'm serious. You know how many times we all use those four words? Like there's some kind of salvation or hope in any of them. Because there's not. And I challenge you to say this word of God as much as you're saying those words. And every time you say that word, let it be reminded to you to find a scripture in here. And to say it. Man, prayer team, if you guys want to come down. You got anything, babe? Well, as he was preaching, I was reminded of a time in our life, mobile home years. They were a wilderness time. They were a time when we were being tested, we were being pruned, and our actions, our behavior from the outside, man, it wasn't always pretty. I mean, that's just the truth. It just wasn't a pretty time. And I remember being in the kitchen and feeling pulled in all these different directions, feeling um, a sense of disunity between us for the first time in our marriage. And we couldn't, we just couldn't get it. We couldn't get on the same page. And I remember crying out to the Lord and saying, tell me, tell me what you are going to talk to me about so that I can hold fast to that thing. So I'm not off doing things that I ought not to be doing and having opinions on things that I ought not to be having opinions on things. I want to put my mind focused on the thing you've called me to be about. Not what other people tell me. Well, you should, you should, this is important. You should look at this. This is important. You should do this. You should be involved in this. And I mean, we were struggling. And I, I remember exactly where I was staying in the kitchen. And I just, I cried out to the Lord. What are you going to talk to me about someday when I stand before you? Because that's all that matters. That's all that matters. And so in that moment, and I grabbed a piece of scrap paper, and he gave me four things. Four things that he spoke specifically to me about. And in that moment, I I had such peace because none of them had to do with any of the things that were hounding me that were kind of coming at me like, you should. You should be involved here. You should have prayed for that person. You should. I mean, a lot of it was a religious spirit. You should be more involved at church. You should be doing this good thing over here. And all I was doing was popping kids out every year and a half and trying to keep my head above water, doing dishes, taking care of kids, doing laundry. And it just felt like it wasn't enough. And I had people who were kind of telling me, hey, you know, you should be in ministry now and you should do this. And and I needed help because it was good stuff. It wasn't evil. I wasn't trying to go out and do evil. But I was struggling. 
And the Lord was faithful, and he gave me these four things. And none of them had to do with anything outside my house, actually, at that time. And I wrote it down, and then I promptly lost the paper. I kid you not, I lost the paper for like a year. And I remember praying, Lord, if that was, if that was really you, if that was really you, then let me find that piece of paper. And I kid you not, within a week, I didn't look for the piece of paper. I just decided, if that was really you, and I, I want that piece of paper that was so important to me, you think, well, if it was important to you, why'd you lose it? Because I had so many kids, you see. You have to understand. There's a, when, you're going, when you go from four kids to seven kids in a mobile home, quick. I mean, there's just a little bit of crazy that happens there. So um, I kid you not, within a week, he was going through the office and going through old papers and bills and lists and just throwing massive piles of receipts out. And he found a paper. And on the back of it was some kind of list or some kind of something. And he flipped it over and there it was because it was a piece of scrap paper. And so, man, I got that piece of paper and I wrote that down. It won't be lost again. I've got it. I think I wrote it down in several places. But my encouragement to you is that if you ask him, this is, he's not a trickster. That's right. He's not looking to be like, oh, you know, never knew you. You thought, you thought, you thought I did, but I didn't. Too bad. And down the slide, the hell you go. You know, shoots and ladders. He's not a trickster. He's a loving heavenly father. This isn't a mystery. It's not a puzzle. There is no fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And if you ask him, he will speak to you. If you seek him, he will be found by you. So being faithful, a faithful servant. Man, I am not a consistent person. I am not the most faithful person when it comes to doing the right thing day after day after day after day. But I am faithful in my love for the Lord and my commitment to walking in obedience because of his love for me. I am faithful to him. In that way, I am faithful. So I just wanted to encourage you, and I said it earlier, there was a time, and this is pre-marriage, when I was struggling to get my act together on the outside. I was kicked out of youth group. It's not funny. It wasn't funny at the time because I was a good girl. But my life was just messy. And I was kicked out of youth group because I was a bad influence because I smoked cigarettes. You know, that was, the, that was the least of my sins, you know. And I was having trouble getting my act together. But as soon as God began to reveal to me and as soon as I, as soon as I began to receive the love of God, everything began to change. Everything began to change as I got a revelation of his perfect love for me. And I'll tell you, I was 21 years old before I was raised in a Christian house, but I didn't understand his love. I didn't understand what it meant because I was raised in a very imperfect house. I didn't understand what it meant to make a mistake and not be condemned, not made to feel guilty, not have to do penance. You're in the doghouse for a little while. But when I was 21 years old, I met somebody who showed me Jesus in real life. And I did something hurtful to that person. And I went to them and said, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I did that. I don't know what's wrong with me. And that person said, it's okay. I understand why you did it. I mean, it, was, it hurt, but I forgive you. I get it. And that was the first time that somebody had showed me grace and forgiveness and showed me the love of Jesus. So I went ahead and I married him. Because I decided to keep hold of that guy. And I'll tell you, the work that God has done in our lives, he's loving. And as we walk through these things, as we walk through end times, 
It's the end of a love story for us, for those whose hearts are turned toward him and faithful to him. You're not going to be denied entrance into the kingdom of heaven because you're having trouble quitting smoking, okay? So don't let the enemy come at you with how imperfect you are when you leave here saying, well, the road is narrow, so I'm totally screwed. (laughs) Because that's not how this goes. That's not how this goes. Ask him to reveal his love for you. If that's you today, ask him for greater revelation of his love because it will change your life. He is loving and he is, he is gracious and merciful. And yeah, the road is narrow. And that's why whatever mess I've made during the day or however ways I've literally fallen short with my mouth or my actions, I run the way my gyrus ran into my bed last night because he needed me. I run to my heavenly father now instead of running away. And I always ran away because it was always crime and punishment in my mind. And that is, that is not the way. The way my son ran into my arms last night is the way we run into the arms of the father. Doesn't matter what mess we've made. It is the love of God, is the goodness of God that brings men to repentance, that brings hearts to repentance. So I just want to dispel fear. As we talk about end times, I want to dispel fear in Jesus' name because it is the perfect love of the Father that casts out all fear. Amen. Amen. Let's close in prayer. I think the kids are ready for us to be done. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Father, we thank you that you are a good, good Father. You'll never leave us or forsake us. We thank you, Lord, that your promises are good for all of eternity for us. We thank you for it. We worship you. We stand firm on your word. In your precious name we pray. Amen.